The idea of self-development objective is that alongside setting your business objectives, and you know, management by objectives is a very powerful way of operating a business. And what we suggest is alongside your business objectives, help your people set self-development objectives. And that is really saying, how do you want to grow this quarter? What do you want to develop for your own skills, your own life, whether that's professional or personal? Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Okay, so really excited for this episode. We get deep into the topic of the second pillar of best self-management, which is motivation, that why we do things influences how we do them. And we've got all kinds of juicy tidbits around how to create more alignment around your people's intrinsic motivations with your business objectives. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. So you have a really clear purpose as an organization. Maybe you've actually done some of your own personal purpose work and you're feeling pretty intrinsically motivated around your purpose. Okay, let's talk about potential slash mastery. Yeah. I think that those are two fairly interchangeable. And so mastery, you know, is this interesting idea that whatever, you know, Abraham Maslow said, whatever a person can be, they must be. Hmm. This we call self-actualization. And so I think it's really, it's an amazing quote, and I really think it speaks to this impulse we have to become our our best selves, to really actually grow in sequential levels of development, to recognize the themes in our life that we can then turn into strengths, which we can turn into our genius. So let's let's open up that and let's talk a little bit around how we how we break that down inside of fifteen and five and the things that we're doing or the things that we want to do around that. Yeah, and one other note because I think what you just said in that quote points to this universal yearning that we all have, whether we feel, you know, safe and confident enough to go and pursue it, their yearning is there. And and the way it often shows up is, you know, when people say they're going to leave a job, one of the primary reasons people leave a company is because they say, well, I feel like I'm not learning it. I'm not growing anymore. I want to find another opportunity where I can grow. And so just an aside, if you're a manager or a business leader, if you're not tuned into whether your employees are having an experience where they can continue to grow, you're at risk of losing people. And I think the, the, the army borrowed from Maslow years ago in that famous campaign, Be All You Can Be, was kind of calling, pulling on that kind of heartstring of people's desire to be their best self, right? So we all have that. If you accept that there's a universal yearning for that, then, you know, how do we actually create that? And then what does it lead to? When we're having the experience of progress and moving toward mastery, we are energized by that, right? It's a self-rewarding process that keeps us motivated to do more. And it it does require a growth mindset, and it requires a sense of that the effort I'm putting into something, even, even if I'm not doing it great at the outset, is going to yield results and positivity in the end. 
Yeah, I think that this is also really kind of connected to strengths, at least, or, or I'll, I'll share a little bit of story around my own strengths, you know, doing the Gallup Strengths Finder and getting your top five strengths, it's really fascinating of like, okay, cool, and you can read it, and I like to say that the first time I read them, that felt like a bad horoscope, and I was like, yeah, whatever, right. uh, kind of in the ballpark, but I'm going to put this back on the shelf. And, you know, a couple of years later, it was actually going deeper into those and getting a deeper understanding of strengths and what the potential was and really recognizing, oh, this is saying these are the domains that I have the potential to develop mastery in, or rather, these are domains that I'm going to have the most ease and flow in developing mastery around. Mm -hmm. And so if I invest in these, I get a massive return. And so then I started thinking about, okay, how do I really grow and develop and pursue mastery in these different strengths? And so then it's about really supporting somebody in that process of, okay, cool. So there's, you know, finding uh, books in those domains, getting coaches, thinking about how can I put myself in the way of different projects that are going to require me to develop those capacities. And that then creates that sense of progress of like, wow, who I'm becoming in this process is going to benefit me for the rest of my life. You know, mastery isn't something that I gain a skill, but it's only good for this job. Mastery is something where who I'm becoming is going to benefit me in all domains of my life for the rest of my life. Exactly. And I think if that's the frame that you're holding, right, that there is going to be business value. You're going to get better results from your people if you support them on a, on a path of growth and mastery. But they're going to be motivated even more so by the role and the company and the job because they're learning and, and, and they're becoming, right? They're in this process of becoming. And those skills are applicable to not just the job they're doing here, but their whole life, right? And so how do we create the conditions where people are on that path? I think the first is teaching about the importance of growth mindset versus a fixed mindset so people understand that they can grow and develop, giving them the tools to understand what their strengths are through things like StrengthsFinder and peer feedback, and then uh, creating a management structure where people are supported in having personal development objectives where they can invest additional time and learning in those areas to continue to grow and evolve and apply that to their to their work. Okay, so let's break down this idea of personal development objectives or self-development objectives. I still, I don't think we've we go back and forth of which to call them. Right. Um, it's funny, in our product, it actually is called a self-development self -development. objective, but I got it in my craw that it was personal development objective. So we're going with self-development objective, okay? And so the idea of self-development objective is that alongside setting your business objectives, so, you know, beginning of the quarter and you're sitting down with your team and you're starting to say, okay, great, what do we need to accomplish as a team and as an individuals this quarter in order to realize our business goals? And that's really good. And, you know, management by objectives is a very powerful way of operating a business. And what we suggest is alongside your business objectives, help your people set self-development objectives. And that is really saying, how do you want to grow this quarter? What do you want to develop for your own skills, your own life, whether that's professional or personal? Setting self-development objectives can be a somewhat challenging process because often people don't actually spend time in their own life to think about how do I want to grow and develop? What are the areas that I want to put deliberate attention 
on growing and improving and achieving new watermarks in. And so that is the opportunity of best self-management is to actually lean in and give a little bit of, of help, give a little bit of guidance along that process. You know, I mean, I've set self-development objectives like stepping up my swim game, you know, like I'm an adult swimmer and, you know, I've just in the last five years really gotten more comfortable in water. And then it's this ongoing process of, okay, cool. I set a self-development objective to take a swimming workshop and to get in the water X number of times, you know, and it's like, yeah, that is so cool. On my weekly 15.5, I'm actually checking in and I'm updating the progress on that. And so all of a sudden it moves from something that I could have done on my own that would have been totally isolated, but now is actually a part of my professional journey is developing mastery in an area of my own personal life that is actually quite meaningful to me and that also then increases general experience of competence and feeling like I'm on an ongoing learning path, which turns out makes it easier to learn anything. You know, the more that you're learning, the easier it is to learn more things. Shane, I think I think you make um, an interesting point there about how self-development objectives aren't necessarily always business-related. Sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. And I think the, the first key there is to support managers in being that person who can give the employee permission to start thinking about these things. It's actually a very rare experience, I think, in, in work to be encouraged to take on something that is going to improve their life. Uh, sometimes it is business-related, sometimes it is personal, but both of those things, whenever you're learning something new, there's a an energy and an excitement that's created, right? And I think that that flows, even if it's something you're working on in your life outside of work, that energy carries forth into the workplace. Well, right, you know, the earlier example of what if somebody wants to become an artist? And we actually, you know, this was an interesting conversation we had internally. Uh, Brad McGinnity, our chief revenue officer, once was asking, well, yeah, but what if somebody wants to become an artist? Are we really going to support them? Sorry to call you out, Brad. <laughs> um, but he was like, yeah, like, are we really going to support that person? And if they want to become a full-time artist? And you had a really beautiful answer, which was like, absolutely. And there was a zero hesitation because, you know, if that person say they come in at 15.5 and they set a self-development objective to explore their personal creativity and they go and they take some art classes and they realize that, you know, wow, this actually brings me so much energy and satisfaction that ultimately, and if they do decide to become a full-time artist, that is going to be one of the greatest success stories that we have um, around our own development program at 15.5. And in the meantime, before they leave 15.5 to become a full-time artist, the energy that they get by going to an art class after work, and then they are going to bring that positive energy back with them into the company while they're here. And so that it actually is a generative upcycle of win-win dynamic there, even if they don't stay with us full-time. And further, there's an underrated skill that we all need to have in this age of business where things are moving so, so quickly and that is the mastery of learning how to learn. Anytime you take on some new thing that you're learning from the first time, you know, as children, we have this all the time. Everything's new. We're, we're constantly in this process of learning, be, being a beginner, going through the initial confusion and frustration, 
getting it in your neurology, like how to do something. And then as adults, we tend to, you know, I think it requires you stepping out of your comfort zone to learn something new. But anytime we have this experience of whether we're learning something new that's professional or personal, we get reminded about what the experience is like and how to learn and how to master something. And then that translates into, wow, I have to learn this new marketing technique. And it's okay if it feels confusing at first, right? I can still lean into that and understand that with practice, right, I'm going to be developing competence and competence can turn into expertise and expertise can turn into mastery. That's why I think one of the reasons we're, we're such a big stand for people being in the process of learning all the time. One of our values is always be learning and growing because of that so that we can be, become good learners. And so one of the cool things of tying this back again to motivation is that if if somebody can come to your company and know that part of why they are going to join your company is because they can develop mastery in an area that is meaningful to them, they are going to be extremely motivated to be a part of your organization and to contribute because they know I am benefiting. I'm actually going to be getting what I want out of this equation. I'm not just going to be giving the company value and I don't know what I'm getting. So really making the learning pathway uh, explicit as part of this is the experience of working at 15.5. This is experience of working at XYZ company is that I'm going to be led through a process to identify what are the things that I truly want to develop mastery in and I'm going to get support from the company to actually pursue those things. Exactly. And now the sweet spot is obviously when those those areas you're taking your strengths and developing mastery map directly to the primary things you're responsible for at work, obviously. And so, you know, when that happens, when when I when I get clear on my strengths and we design a a role around what those strengths are so that I get to leverage those on a daily basis, right? There's this sense of never-ending growth and development where I'm feeling very capable and competent and confident and producing value for the company in service of that purpose, right? And that's where, you know, those two things coming together that I get to use my strengths and my, what we might call our, my zone of genius in service of the greater purpose creates this, this really powerful energy. There, there's a cool uh, concept known as the competence-confidence spiral, which is that, you know, if you look at competence and confidence, Maybe you're low on both of those in a certain area, but as your competence increases, your confidence increases simultaneously. And as your confidence increases, your competence goes up and, and it becomes easier to have both of those things. And so if you are like, you know, developing and learning in one area, that is going to be increasing your competence and confidence. And that makes it easier to then actually develop confidence and competence in any other area. So the more you learn, actually, the easier it is to learn more things. That's amazing, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a really fascinating thing because until the 1980s, the status quo consensus in psychology was that adult human development stopped when you stopped physically growing. Only the 80s, this was the, the agreed-upon theory that as soon as you know you hit 19 20 21 and you stopped physically growing your mental development was pretty much over you were about as mentally complex as you were going to get and we know that is just so deeply wrong right but so many of our organizations were built you know any company that was started before the 80s that is still operating that hasn't had a major renovation major reinventions 
of their core worldviews are still operating out of some of those the remnants of that worldview. And so it's it's so important that we update this and do it quick because we really need to think about our companies as more of like a, a continuation of universities where it is ongoing development, where it's not like we just come to do our job, but we actually do come to learn and to grow. Right, and it reminds me of that excuse you'd often hear is, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, very fixed mindset thinking. And when you mention that confidence, competence spiral, it's not that we can't learn. We know we know we can. We know we understand, you know, the science of neuroplasticity now that, you know, it's just a matter of engaging in something and with repetition and training that eventually your your neurology is gonna catch up and it's going to it's it's gonna wire up. But it feels very uncomfortable at first. And I think having a lack of confidence and a lack of competence is usually so confronting for people that they don't even try. Right. And you just have to be aware that anytime you're going to learn something new, it's going to suck <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. And if you take on that, that's just step one of learning and then that's okay. And you embrace the, the discomfort, you can learn anything. By the way, if you believe in what we're doing here and you want to help us spread this movement, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes or on Google Play. It's going to help us uh, get more visibility for the podcast and grow the movement. Okay, so, you know, we've looked at purpose and mastery. Let's take a look at... Autonomy. Autonomy, yeah. So autonomy is a really interesting one. And autonomy is essentially, I want to be treated like an adult. Yes. I want to be respected, that I can make good decisions, and that I am capable of managing my time and energy in a way that is going to be beneficial to the organization's objectives. Yeah, and this maps to our value, grant trust and be transparent. So uh, it's one of our core values that's, that's uh, I think, served us very well, and we basically describe it as Look, if you're good enough to get onto our team, and we have a very rigorous process for vetting people who come into the company, you don't have to earn our trust. We're going to grant you trust, right? We trust you to make good decisions. We trust you to choose when is the right time to work for you. That's, uh, you know, obviously in also going to work for your teammates and your team, right? Certain roles require more rigid time constraints than others, but ultimately comes down to we're going to treat everyone in the company like adults. We're not going to micromanage. And, you know, as leaders, it's a really interesting thing about in the moment deciding when am I going to lead and when am I going to follow, right? If someone has the competence, we've hired them to do a job, right? I'm actually going to turn over leadership to that person to make the right decisions in that regard, and I become the follower, right? And it's it's that dynamic moment to moment deciding, okay, I'm choosing to let you lead here. I trust you, right? I trust that you have the competence and you're closest to the problem and you're going to make the right decisions. And then, you know, if things don't go well, we're going to have a conversation about how to support a better outcome and what what can we learn from it. Okay, so what, what are the other practical ways to, to give more autonomy, to create more autonomous structures inside of our companies? Well, I think generally it's important to be outcome-focused than activity-focused. Basically saying, look, you know, if you follow, practice anything like uh, quarterly goal setting, we use the OKR model, which stands for Objectives and Key Results. Helping people get clear on what's the outcome, what's their objective, and what are the key results they're going to be measured against. And then turning over the creativity for how to get it done and in what time frame to them. 
right? And then being a support as a manager to help troubleshoot or bring people together to solve problems as needed. And so, you know, I mean, I think a lot of managers might be challenged by this, you know, that uh, if I if I just totally trust my people, well, what if they don't actually get the job done? Because I, my ass is on the line. I'm responsible for my team to produce. And so I can't just give them full autonomy. I need to actually you know, really may be kind of keeping the pressure on. Well, it doesn't mean you can't check in. But I think you need to go into the relationship with a clear agreement as to how that's going to happen and saying, look, you're responsible for these outcomes. I want you to check in with me and give me an update once a week or once a month. And here's how I'm going to be involved. And I'm here to support you. And it's very important for me that this objective gets completed. So like, you know, laying out what the table stakes are and what the agreement is. But there does have to be that element of relinquishing some control, right? And communicating both explicitly and implicitly that I trust you. If the check-ins are more oriented around, I'm trying to find out if you're not doing what you said you're going to do versus, you know, I'm just getting a status update. You're inadvertently communicating, I don't really trust you, right? And then that starts to break down. Yeah, and then, I think people kind of confuse autonomy and accountability, you know, that that if you have autonomy, then you kind of get a pass on accountability. Mm-hmm. And that that's just not true. That actually part of the relationship, you know, you could almost say more accountability equals more autonomy and more autonomy equals more accountability. And so it's like, I'm giving you the keys. Like you, you are going to run with it. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to be coming at this with an anticipation of your failure unless I'm cracking the whip. That's the autonomy. And I expect excellence. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's where the being explicit about your expectations and having clear agreements about how our working relationship is going to be can set those things up to give a manager, I think, more, you know, someone who might be a little more, um, have a harder time with relinquishing control feel more at ease, you know, and they can check in to say like, okay, if these things are not happening, then we need to have a different conversation. We may need to adjust our agreements. Yeah. And I think that it's such a important conversation, especially for new managers of how do you get people to be connected to that intrinsic motivation for autonomy. And I think that autonomy is also one of the reasons why we have the rise of so much distributed teams is that people want the autonomy to be able to work from where they want to work of saying, look, trust me to do my job. Don't say that I need to be in this specific location. And, you know, there's, of course, exceptions to that. There's definitely reasons at times to be in offices, but there's also a lot of that personal motivation of saying, I want freedom. You know, I think that it's, that is this human desire is for a bit more freedom. Yes. And so building companies that are about embracing certain elements of freedom is going to have people more connected to their intrinsic motivations, and they're going to say, yes, this is something that I want to be participating in. This is an uncommon level of actually granting me my own freedom and treating me like an adult. And so therefore, I'm not going to want to disappoint you. Exactly. And I'm going to do the best work of my life. If you have a question or a topic that you'd love to hear us talk about on this show, please do email us at podcast at 15.5.com. And if it's a good suggestion, we may consider it. You know, I find more often than not, when you grant people trust, they rise to the occasion, right? And I think as a manager, if you're micromanaging, like that's one of the quickest ways that you can 
squash someone's intrinsic motivation is by, you know, essentially not granting them the autonomy. Yeah, you know, the back to this idea of are you managing or operating from a center of gravity of fear or are you operating and managing from a center of gravity of trust? Exactly. And if you trust, you know, and this was one of our first conversations, David, like, you know, eight or nine years ago where we were talking about it, that we found that the people that are the most distrusting that we've observed in, in life often get screwed the most. Or at least they have a lot of stories about getting screwed. Yeah, the they most. have a yes, lot of screwed exactly. stories of getting screwed. Yeah. And that, you know, me and you coming at this of like generally both approaching life of saying, yeah, that's actually, I have pretty high trust. You know, we haven't gotten screwed that much. Right. There's not that many stories where we can point to where we granted somebody trust and then they massively abused it. Correct. And there's w one or two times, sure. you know, there's, there's definitely those stories, but knowing that if that happens, that we have lawyers that we can instruct to inflict pain and that, you know, that's, that is a, an option if needed, but it's not the default defensive fear-based mode of operating. Correct. And, you know, and so then having that way of being and operating then spill over into our management and leadership styles, I think is part of what then has people relax because God, it's so good to be trusted, and it's so bad to not be trusted. Yes. Again, it comes back to what we talked about in psychological safety, right? When people feel accepted and respected, and you treat people like adults, and as a manager, you're not in a, you know, some ego trip like I'm better than you and higher than you, and therefore, you know, you're lower than me, right? But I treat you as a peer and a human being and an adult. It just creates an environment where people rise you know, have the opportunity to rise to the occasion, feel intrinsically motivated, be excited about their work, especially when you have those other elements of both mastery and growth and, and connection to purpose. And I think that it's also really interesting because, you know, 15 and 5, uh, the tool and the weekly check-in that we've built can be used um, for either increasing autonomy or decreasing autonomy. And again, it's that, you know, it's, it's, it's so much of the context that you're coming at it from since it is this idea of a weekly check-in. And I think that sometimes people think, oh my God, a weekly check-in, that seems like taking away my autonomy. Mm -hmm. But really, actually, it's saying, no, it's increasing accountability and transparency and absolutely like be in the conversation, be in communication around what's really going on. But that communication isn't the thing that actually takes autonomy away. Uh, you know, communication can actually lift everyone up together and keep us on the same page, keep us in higher coherence together so that we're acting as more of a unified team and that information is flowing freely. Exactly. That's a great segue into the last pillar, which we now call relatedness, which Roosevelt Mouse Cantor calls membership, and the importance of this sense of connection. Now, this is the piece that was missing from Dan Pink's work in Drive. Uh, but we've found at 15.5 that it is critical for this sense of intrinsic motivation when you feel connected not only to the purpose, but to each other, right? And you have really tight bonds and an affinity and a sense of belonging, going back to what Maslow talks about in, in, in the hierarchy of needs. You feel this sense of, the word that's coming is obligation, but I don't think it's this obligation, but you feel this desire to create and not let your team members down, right? And you you feel positive about going into the workplace. It's also related to psychological safety, right? But you feel good about the people you're working with, and there's a motivating factor to that. 
Yeah, the Gallup Q12, one of their questions that they found is one of the highest indicators of engagement is, do you feel like you have a best friend at work? And that's really speaking to this relatedness. Do you feel like there are people in your company who really know who you are, who know the authentic you, where you're able to actually be self-expressed with? And there's no reason that that should only just be one person. You know, that's why, again, like I'm, a, I'm really a big fan of this idea of building communities inside of our companies, actually having people share more of their lives because we spend so much of our lives. I mean, I text with you more than I text with my wife. (laughs) And, you know, so if I'm, and you know, there's moments when like my heart's kind of closed to you and I'm a little annoyed with you or something. And it's, it's horrible. It's such a, like that feeling of not being related is an uncomfortable feeling. And I think that we've gotten really used to strife and turbulence in our relationships at work being the norm and being part of what's ex- expected, you know, and so that we're gossiping and talking smack about other people and they suck and I'm so right and I can't believe they did this and, you know, kind of all this jockeying and politicking that sucks energy from our actual execution of being able to go to market and innovate and build better products and sell more it all drains away from that when we aren't actually related to each other. Yeah, exactly. And so like on an individual basis, the promise is that we feel like, you know, the people we work with on an immediate basis uh, have our backs and we have their backs and there's this connection there. I think the broader promise, which a lot of companies struggle with, is then taking that on a macro scale where there's not these silos where, you know, engineering and product uh, or rather, you know, sales and say products have this, you know, rivalry where it's like, you know, the salespeople are selling something product doesn't have yet and products upset and, and, and the product folks are, you know, there's this distrust of the other side that we often see in organizations. And, and how do we create the sense of universal relatedness where we are all one team? Yeah, and so much of that comes down to how do you have better communication? How can you actually let people in on more of the context and the story behind what's actually happening? How can we let people in on the context of how we make decisions and and tell some of the stories that led to those decisions? All are part of this kind of relatedness piece. And then it's also things like making space for human-level connection so that it's not just these worker robots and we just do our job and we never actually have fun, we never actually get personal, we don't we don't share our bucket lists with our our peers. We don't share our struggles, you know, because that is what has us then feel like an anonymous, what's the saying, uh, cog in the machine. Right, exactly. You know, because none of us want to be an anonymous cog in the machine. We all want to know that people actually see us for who we really are. We want to know the impact that our work has. And we want to feel supported by the people around us. Sometimes if we don't feel like that, it can actually, I think it can be hard for people to admit that they do want that. Because it's like, no, I don't need that. That's just like Pollyannic, Northern California bullcrap. <laughs> you know, like I've got a job and I do it for the money. I don't care. But I think that underneath that more cynical attitude is a yearning for more of that. But so often people don't even think that that is possible. So why bother thinking that that's something that you want? Exactly. And the, and the result is when you don't have that, you know, we're more likely to have this sense of othering, right? It's like if we're not connected on a human level, 
right? The salespeople are different than we are. And it's like, it's us versus them. And you have this, these silos that form because you're almost like dehumanizing the other group, right? You're seeing them as, as bad or wrong or different or not doing their job. And, you know, again, you know, you mentioned bringing in more communication to, to share about, you know, who are these people and what are the decisions being made and that we're all doing our best to uh, act in service of everyone's best interest and the the purpose, right? And then, you know, it's, 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 it's about fostering that connection. And when we feel that, right, coming back to the motivation piece, combined with the autonomy, mastery, and purpose, we feel, you know, this sense of, like, I just want to show up. I love coming to work, right? Because I'm connected in community, I'm growing, I'm connected to purpose, I have a sense of autonomy. I mean, it's like the holy grail of work. Okay, so hopefully this gives you a little bit of an appreciation for the power of aligning your business interests with the intrinsic motivations of your people. And if you can get them to operate from those, that deeper why, you are going to see higher engagement, higher retention, higher performance, better results, and everybody is going to be having a whole heck of a lot more fun doing their job. I'm Shane Metcalf. I'm David Hassel. Thanks for tuning in. A big thank you to our producer, Counter-Ray Creative, and our executive producer, David Misney, and Stacey Hurst, our guest coordinator. Please visit 155.com slash podcast. That's the number 15 and the word five. For more information on today's discussion, for additional resources and special offers. One of the easiest and highest leverage things you can do to support us in this podcast is write a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. It really does go a long way in terms of getting the word out and more people can hear this message so that we can start a movement and truly get more and more businesses out there helping their people become their best selves. To get all the latest episodes, please subscribe to Best Self Management on iTunes or Google Play. And if you have a question or comment you'd like us to address in a future show, please email us at podcast at 15.5.com. And finally, thank you for listening to this podcast. Until next time, know that we support you in being and becoming your best self. 